The recent findings of biomolecules, soft tissue blood vessels, and blood cells in 65 million year old Tyrannosaurus rex fossil bones have caused geologists to reevaluate the process of the preservation of fossils. After all, everyone knows that a fossil is an impression, cast, outline, or track of any animal or plant that is preserved in rock after the original organic material is transformed or removed. So, how can blood vessels and biomolecules be found in fossils that are rock? The answer? A fossil does not need to be turned into stone to be a fossil after all. A fossil is a fossil is a fossil, right? By Cecil Allen. The definition of fossil by the American Geological Institute begins, the remains or traces of animals or plants which have been preserved by natural causes in the Earth's crust. There is nothing in this definition that requires transformation into rock. All that is important is that the fossil has been preserved. And preservation is a qualitative term that does not describe how the fossil was preserved. This is illustrated by Dr. Schweitzer in describing the fossil specimen of the Tyrannosaurus rex, MOR555, aka Wankel T. rex. An exceptionally well-preserved specimen of the Tyrannosaurid dinosaur Tyrannosaurus rex shows little evidence of permineralization or other diagenetic effects. She further states, most fossils show signs of sediment infilling or secondary mineral deposition, but certain specimens can show little evidence of diagenetic change. In other words, her Tyrannosaurus rex is a well-preserved fossil with almost no mineral petrification. That is to say, it is nearly pure bone. This 65-million-year-old fossil is almost exactly the same today as it was when it was buried. So if a fossil like MOR555 can be a fossil without being turned to rock, then what makes a fossil a fossil? Let's review the rest of the definition of fossil by the American Geological Institute. The remains or traces of animals or plants which have been preserved by natural causes in the Earth's crust exclusive of organisms which have been buried since the beginning of historic time. To make it a tad bit clearer, it's a remnant or trace of an organism of a past geologic age, such as a skeleton or leaf imprint, embedded and preserved in the Earth's crust. So, according to this definition, a true fossil is something that has been preserved in some way or other from some past geologic age before the beginning of historic time. It doesn't matter if the material has been turned to stone, but just that it was buried before the historic records of man. So, has this added caveat of deep time always been a part of the definition of fossil? Let's look at the history of the use of the word fossil as paraphrased from Challoner's A Dictionary of Geology. The term fossil, in Latin fossilis, dug up, was, as the word suggests, originally given to anything extracted from the earth or the rocks. It included minerals, all kinds of stony objects, and pieces of the rock itself, as well as the remains of organisms. The other word fossilia, in the wide sense and not, in fact, including organic remains, was used by Agricola in 1546. Gessner's illustrated work on fossils included organic remains in 1565. In Britain, organic fossils were called petrified shells in 1665, formed stones in 1677, 
fossil shells in 1695, figured stones in 1699, marine fossils, fossil fish teeth in 1721, native and extraneous fossil shells in 1726, native minerals and the like and extraneous fossil shells in 1728. Owing, no doubt, to these various confusing usages, the term fossil dropped out for a time, petrification largely taking its place. The always appropriate organic remains then became popular in 1804 to 1811, and was being used much later in 1849 and following years. Meanwhile, fossil was again coming into use, but now for organic remains only, though usually with or as a qualifying adjective in 1816 and 1822. Already, however, the word by itself was beginning to be used. Parkinson in 1804 remarks that, In the common language of those most conversant with these substances, their nature is conveyed by the substantive fossil alone. Lamarck in France seems to have been the first definitely to restrict the term in 1801 and 1802. So the substantive fossil alone and exclusively for organic remains became thoroughly established some 20 years later in 1822. Up through 1948, fossils were defined as the remains of animals and plants or direct evidence of their presence preserved in the rocks of the earth. Yet even then, the caveat of age is hinted at. While fossils were evidence of animal or plant life in the rocks, such as petrified shells, skeletons, leaf and fern imprints, animal footprints and the like, it is chiefly by the aid of fossils that the age of the rock is determined. As is typical of much of the debate about evolution and creation, the definition of fossil is not just descriptive, but also interpretive, since it includes the evolutionary interpretation of long ages. Therefore, in the evolutionist's mindset, every time creationists use the word fossil, they unwittingly concede the validity of the evolutionary paradigm. Since creationists believe that most everything typically called a fossil was actually buried during Noah's flood, which occurred within a historic time, then, from the creationist viewpoint, there is no such thing as a fossil by that definition. So what are creationists to do with the word fossil? It seems there are two choices. Either creationists can redefine fossil to fit the creationary viewpoint every time they use it, or invent a new word. A redefinition of fossil could be as simple as using just the first part of the American Geological Institute's definition, the remains or traces of animals or plants which have been preserved by natural causes in the Earth's crust. The inconvenient part would be the need to state the redefinition in each creationary paper where fossil is used. Also, the Latin phrase which means catastrophic buried fossil has been suggested as a possible replacement, but I don't know how to pronounce it for you here. In any case, the important thing to remember is a fossil may or may not be petrified, but we do not accept the evolutionary definition that a fossil is a biological remnant of a past geologic age before the history of mankind. The debate over creation and evolution shows no sign of letting up. Many have become aware that it is a seminal issue, perhaps the most important of our day. They see it as a worldview battleground, one that cannot be ignored. So let me tell you about The Fossil Record. It's a great book on the subject that thoroughly examines the evidence to determine which worldview, 
Creation or Evolution, presents the most accurate portrayal of Earth's early history. Did life spontaneously generate and then mutate over millions of years, or was life supernaturally created at one time and in the basic forms that exist today? Geologist Dr. John Morris and zoologist Frank Sherwin look at the fossil record to see what it actually reveals. What they find is that the claim that fossils document evolution is simply not true. The fossil record presents a very different message, one supportive of the creation worldview. It speaks of exquisite design in every once living thing, not random development solely through natural processes. There is no hint of an evolutionary simple to complex history, for life was complex from the very start. The fossils testify of the biblical history of recent creation, the curse due to Adam's sin, and the great flood of Noah's day. The evolutionary interpretation of the fossil record holds power only if the alternative is censored. But censorship is not truth. There is a better way to think. Adopting evolutionary naturalism as one's faith and guideline for life makes no sense if there is a God who has spoken. So get and read the fossil record as it will help you to examine the evidence and discover the creator of all things. It's available at creation.com store. I am Joseph Darnell. For everyone at Creation Ministries International, thanks for listening.